Hello everyone, and welcome to the first Captico Talks. A couple of weeks back, I had a chance to talk with Mills, the co-founder of the uber-successful studio, Us2. This conversation started over an email that led to a face-to-face -face talk about ultra-running and running, I think, can be applied to life. Ego, success-failure. Failure is only failure if you, if you stop. Monument Valley and meeting with successful leaders like Tim Cook. Vows that he spent with us was that he was extremely humbling. He was everything I hoped a good leader would be. Mills provides deep insights to a wide range of topics. So let's listen in. And you were the first one that said, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> well, I mean, I, as I say, like, apologies for not doing it sooner, but I no think um, I just wanted to make sure that I was in the right frame of mind. I think mm -hmm. what I've noticed uh, a lot in the last few years of my life is that um, it's very easy to get led by other people and led by business and led by um, meetings that have been booked in. Uh, and then you end up just sort of waking up each day and, and just sort of like a robot going, mm -hmm. doing things that you... You may not actually want to do that day. So, you know, I'm in a very lucky position, I guess, that mm -hmm. I'm able to, after working extremely hard for most of my life, to, to suddenly say, well, hold on a sec, actually, I'm just going to take a bit of a chill now. And I'm, so I, I started by cancelling all meetings and saying that no one could ever book a meeting with me. I'm, because I started getting lots of people saying, hey, are you free in two months' time at this time? Uh, so we can have a meeting and I'm, I'm like well I don't know how I'm going to feel in two months time at that time so what I said to people now is and I said it to you is like just text me near the time yeah. and if I'm feeling if I've got the time and I can make the time then let's do it and we'll feel we're in flow yeah. so that for me is better now you know it's not without its downsides because some people just don't meet me anymore but I don't care <laughs> it's like make it work for me exactly anyway. so thank you again thank that's you. really cool like that's like the, the the honesty that you have here it's great because I can relate that with your podcast a lot. Like, one of the things that I really like your podcast is how, like, today in the world, we live in this world that is um, filtered by an Instagram. Everything is perfect. And it's so refreshing to, like, listen to someone that is, like, um, you, you, like you really look up to. So because uh, you created this amazing company, and you and, and six and more people, I'm sure. Um, and to see, like, you struggle as well. And you, you Absolutely. have these doubts and you have, like, all of this that it's, it's common to everyone. And I really, really appreciate that. Mm. Like, why did it start that? Because you could just stay silent and don't say anything, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, I think if I look back to when we first started, uh, us two, uh -huh. we were all, me and Sinks and myself had a very simple idea. We just wanted to... We, we wanted to work together because we, we were best mates and we really enjoyed each other's company. Okay. And we believed that if we worked extremely hard and you know, built a studio where we attracted other like-minded people who liked to work hard, but also liked to, that were genuinely good people, honest people, open people, that actually work didn't have to be pure work. It could be, it could be life. Like, I don't see, just like you, I don't really see myself working. I see this is what I do, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so we tried to, so we were always very hell-bent on being very honest and transparent. I mean, you know, we had, you know, our studios, people could hear what we were talking about. We were very open about our business and we were very real with people because we never treated people like employees. Uh, we, we treated people like people. Mm -hmm. 
and people have problems yeah. and we always expected people and we always encourage people to bring their problems to the work don't I think a lot of businesses for all sorts of different reasons expect you to come in and be in a work mode like you are at work so you mm-hmm. forget it doesn't matter if you're having a breakdown it doesn't matter if you're getting a divorce it doesn't matter if you just split up with your girlfriend or boyfriend you when you're at working you're working now that's not always possible. Mm-hmm. So actually, we were always, you know, I was v- very early in my days. Um, I would go, I would just, I just naturally found my personality f- was someone that liked to be, it's not like I like to be honest, I like to be Mills, which happened to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I would go to conferences and I would, I would always try to give talks that I said I would want to watch. And what did I always like? I always liked, whenever I watch anything, I like. I like real stories. I like mm-hmm. the true. I like to. I don't really care about the finished article. That's kind of the shine, like the Instagram shine. Yeah. I care about what happens behind it. It's the, I'm sure you do as well. Fast forward to now, uh-huh. I think, you know, I've, I'm on a roll of like 220 podcasts down the road, <laughs> and I do it daily. I found actually for me that it's like a daily, a daily journaling. Uh-huh. And I actually found, you know, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to speak exactly what comes out of my head, and I'm not going to filter it. I'm just going to use it as a. I, I, don't, I don't even actually know what's going to come out of my head. I just know that once I've turned that podcast on, I flow. Yeah. And you know what? And I did it for me. It was very social for me. I didn't, mm-hmm. I mean, I think everyone ex- hopes that people will like what they do. But I didn't say, right, I'm going to become a professional podcaster. I said, I said, actually, I want to build my own confidence up. Mm-hmm. I actually was, you know, for someone who ran an extremely successful business. I'm still no, I'd still find it no easier to get up on stage. I still have my doubts whether I'm, I'm, I'm an anybody. I still feel like the world is laughing at me if I say something wrong. So I thought, you know what, let's practice this. So I just flowed and I just talked. And actually, so what I'd started off doing with my podcast was I would, I would do like a how to, like how to start running, mm-hmm. how to start podcasting, how to start. And I said to myself, right, I'm gonna do 30 days of this and then when I've finished, I'll finish. But actually, I found that I really enjoyed it. Now it's become a daily diary of uh-huh. just how I feel. You know, me, Mills, a 40-year-old guy who's going through a huge transformation um, in that I've realized that I've spent 20 years of my life working, and I've spent more working, but only focusing on my business, us two. And that meant that I didn't really understand anything about the whole world. Yeah. Because I was just business, 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 building up this lovely culture, which I enjoyed. But all of a sudden, I realised I poked my head above the us two wall, and I realised, oh my god, there's a big wall out there. Uh, sorry, a big world out there. And uh, I found that on my podcast, what the people that listen to it, and it's not, you know, it's not a massive successful podcast, uh-huh. but I have like three or four hundred people that every day tune in, and you know, slowly, slowly it grows. Um, and what I've noticed is that people tune in because they're going through similar things. And so it's not like the world; it's never going to become a super popular podcast, mm-hmm. but. But it doesn't matter because actually what I've noticed with all podcasts is people tune in if, they're, if they think they're going to resonate with the subject. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone who's going through a crisis in many ways of confidence, a crisis of middle age, a crisis of what do I do next. You know, I've built a huge business, but I don't really know where I'm, personally I'm going with that anymore. It runs itself without me. Yeah. So I, just, I really enjoy it. I, I actually enjoy saying things that often people think you shouldn't say that because yeah. but what the what's the point it's life like if you don't say the right the, the things you want to say what's the point of living you yeah. might as well might as well be dead that's so cool <laughs> sorry i talk too much as well so you need to I shut like that down. i don't mind i'm very conscious <laughs> i want to you know i'm very conscious that you've got to transcribe this so easy no worries i'll, I'll speak slowly don't think about that. <laughs> uh it's like 
Uh, you touched really, really interesting points because on your podcast you talk a lot about success yes. and what you think of failure and what you think success was or is right now. And after like 200 podcasts, as you said, what are like the lessons that you take into yourself? Because you see this as a journal, right? Mm. How is success for you now? Is it different? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think I'm still in the midst of trying to work it out. Uh -huh. I think, you know, what I do know is success for me when I was younger and when I was building us to was about other people perceiving me. It was about other people perceiving me to be successful because I was successful. Mm -hmm. It was never about money for me. Money has never been an interest to me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, money for me should always be a byproduct of creating something that has value. Mm -hmm. um, That's good. I guess, you know, successful for me was being was achieving things that others, that were done our way. So I always wanted to build what I call a fampany, which is, I refer to as a family company, as opposed mm -hmm. to a company. Because I believe the majority of people think you have to be a business person to run a business. Mm -hmm. I believe that you could be two best friends and you could, you could create more of like a youth center or like a family vibe or a friend group. And that could be the business as opposed to it like thinking about a business. Sorry, this might be kind of confusing. I'm, I'm yeah, even confused. But, so I wanted, to, success was about, yeah, being seen to do things differently, our own way, the, the way that I think is better for humanity. Um, I mean, what I eventually started to realize that the problem with chasing that success dream, and I know me and you talked about this a while back, mm -hmm. you yeah. first, is that it doesn't stop. There is no really finite success. You know, we, I think I could very clearly write down, I could write down hundreds of things that are successful, that us two are successful for, that I'm successful for. Yeah. But none of those suddenly, I never got to a stage where I didn't need success anymore. It never stopped. So about a year and a half ago, I changed the success criteria away from thinking, chasing some sort of commercial or... I, I check, yeah, I, I moved, sorry, I moved it to internal success, like feeling good, mm -hmm. feeling healthy, hoping that that would help me find happiness because I think success is actually happiness and contentment, okay. but mm -hmm. I'm not content or happy particularly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am happy, don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, you go through up and down. I think success is, I would believe that success is not craving success mm -hmm. and I haven't sorted that out yet. Yeah. That is sorry that as you know, because you listen to some of my podcasts, yeah. I, I, I tend to have to sort of talk and talk and talk to try to get to somewhere because it's quite a difficult subject. But um, and I think like the way you like shift gears in your thinking, it's what makes the podcast really interesting because sometimes you say, "Oh, I like this," and they say, "Oh, I don't. Actually, I don't like this," because you start thinking about that. Yeah, I've always said, I've always, I've always, no, I haven't always realized it, but I what I learned over the years is my way, which is the only way being true to myself means just being true to myself I was you know I was never going to be really intelligent I was never going to be able to do a really slick presentation I can never answer you in a really yeah. slick way because that's just not how my mind works and and I, I don't want to pretend to be like that and what I learned through my podcast that actually by just being myself resonate with people mm -hmm. and that gave me a lot of confidence actually and that shifting gears for me is just the way I'm th I think and because I'm not really th I'm just letting that th those thoughts go onto my tongue and out of my mouth <laughs> before I've actually computed them 
you you know it's probably quite difficult for you to listen to what I'm saying. But oh, I think, really? But it's, well, it's great. Well, like, I really good. like that shift. Okay. Well, I think it's important. I think I think. I find it, I don't know if other people need to do this, but I find that you've got to question the things you said. And it's only when I actually verbalize it can I work out if I actually believe it. And this is the same for my business life. I always like to try things. Like I can hypothesize or strategize about the way I'm going to feel if I do something, or I could just do it mm-hmm. and make this mistake and fail or and feel good about it. And I just like to go all in and try it. And uh-huh. if I don't like something, I've got no problem in changing and going back. It's funny, me and my, my uh, co-founder, Sinks, are very different. And that's probably why us two being successful, because we're two best friends with the same value set, completely different type of people, very different personalities. He would like to make a decision and stick to it. I would like to make a decision and walk out the meeting room and change it straight away. And that is a bit of tension. <laughs> But, uh, but anyway, yeah. You, you talk a little bit about like your change, like that you were different. And I actually read that post. You said like, I'm 50 days in on a healthy diet. Yeah. On a, and do you mind like talking a little bit more about what triggered you to change that? Yeah. To change like... The diet and the change. Yeah, yeah. To change like the past miles and having yeah. this new miles, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Um... I mean, I'd love, unfortunately, this story is a story that I hear a lot of other people, you know, much more successful than mm-hmm. me, um, vocalizing in slightly different ways. But in short, you know, I, when I was younger and I was very driven um, and I wanted to, to achieve big things and I wanted people to think that I was successful and I wanted to be successful and I wanted to grow a big, big organization, company, fampany. Um, God, I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I, I put everything else first. Uh, so I put that, that, that success drove me so much that friends, family, me were all second to that. I didn't really think about, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really think about my family that much. You know, that I was very lucky in that my wife was very supportive of me. She married me knowing what I was like. But, you know, I was very unconscious of the fact that I, I was... I just didn't see them for 15 years, really. It was just, it was work, work, work. Me and Sinks was us two, 24 hours a day. And at the same time, health-wise, I didn't really look after myself. Mm-hmm. And as things got bigger, uh, harder, more stressful, more people, you know, at one point we had nearly 400 people. Um, a, lot of, a lot of pressure, it's like suddenly it's like, wow, we've actually created the very thing that we set out to create. Um, and for a long time sinks and myself um, would rely on drinking beer and, mm-hmm. and alcohol as a way to escape some of the anxieties some of the fears some of the confusion some of the pressure of of, some, of that being on our shoulders and I realised after I remember very clearly me and sinks laughing thinking Christ we've been you know drunk not obsess- obscenely uh-huh. drunk but you know we've the, we've done like it And this last year, we've drunk every day from four o'clock because the beers are everywhere on every floor. <laughs> Let's just have a couple of beers. And then you go home and you sit with your wife and you have a bottle of wine. And then you get up really early and you go straight back into work. And I, I woke up one day and I said, wait a sec. 
Monument Valley, which is a game we created, which was really the kind of, I think, the antithesis of success for me. It mm-hmm. was eight years of working, of releasing different games and um, experiences that didn't do very well, but I never stopped. I kept putting more of our money into it. I kept on going. I learned, I learned, I learned. We call it success-failure, successful mm-hmm. failure. And we got Monument Valley, and it is exactly what, it was my dream. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be an agency that was also an agency that created its own products. And I wanted that product ultimately to be bigger than anything we'd ever done. And Monument Valley did that, and it became a worldwide hit. Uh, you know, 160 million downloads, not all paid, I must add. <laughs> um, financially, it absolutely did. It was massive for us. It, it, it allowed us a lot of freedom in our business. But about a year or two later, which comes up to about when you're talking mm-hmm. about, I just suddenly reflected. I looked in the mirror and uh, I, I felt a bit fat. You know, I just didn't, I didn't, I looked at myself and I thought, I don't really, that doesn't look, I don't look very good. I don't feel very good. And wait a sec, I'm chasing success, but I got it a year and a half ago with Monument Valley. What am, if I can't feel any different, if I'm still feeling like I need more, this is never going to stop. Mm-hmm. So I said, wait a sec, maybe I'm, cha- maybe I'm chasing the wrong criteria here. Maybe actually, if money doesn't really do anything, if actual, like being seen to be s- successful doesn't really do anything to me, maybe it's, I'm not feeling good inside. I don't love myself. I spent all my life loving other people, giving to every, all of the us two bees, I put them first ahead of me. Um, and I'd never put myself forward. So I said, what about if I focus on being the best me I can be mm-hmm. and overnight I said right I'll stop alcohol and I'll, and I'll actually use my platform of being somebody in our industry that's known and I'll say you know what you don't have to drink alcohol and uh, I'm going to be one of those people that doesn't drink it I'm not going to eat meat I'm not going to eat sugar I'm not going to eat bread I'm not going to eat pasta and I you know anything I just got overnight doof, gone the next because of my skill of being able to jump black uh-huh. and white yeah. I said the next day I didn't care about it anymore and I said right I'm going to I'm going to train to be uh, an ultra runner, which is somebody who runs a long distance. I've got a hundred mile race in a few weeks. Um, and I said, and I told, you know, I, I did a little blog about it. And I just said, and I wrote a, quite a long blog that actually really resonated with people. It was the biggest blog I've ever written in terms of, I think, again, we talked about with my podcast, people, I think there's a lot of people out there that want to make that jump, but mm-hmm. are too fearful. So hopefully by me making it, it gave some people the confidence. And I said, I'm going I'm to talk about this, which eventually became my, um, my blog, mm-hmm. my podcast. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to be very selfishly focused on me so that I can have more energy to be better for everyone else. And, um, you know, if I think the reason I also did that in parallel was that I noticed there were other people that I would look at on YouTube or in the community that that were often older than me, that didn't drink, that uh-huh. were ultra runners, that seemed to be having a life. They were, they were talking about this life of fulfillment and happiness. And when I looked into their stories, they were successful people in the past that suddenly realized that chasing that success wasn't right. And I really resonated with that. Uh-huh. And I said, I want to feel, I actually do want to feel good. That's actually success for me. Uh-huh. And so for the last year and a half, I've, you know, I completely revamped my life. Uh, I lost, you know, three stone. I'm now, you know, about to take on the 100 mile challenge, which is the very challenge I set out a year and a half ago to, to achieve. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel extremely good and it's given me a confidence that I never had even the mm-hmm. 15 years before. A real confidence, not just a... I mean, before I didn't really know I needed to have confidence. I was just building us to, simple as that. Yeah. But now I, re- I wake up every morning really early, which I love, and I actually, by and large, most of the time, feel very excited about mm-hmm. life. It's, it's really cool. Like you, talk, you talked about running. Yes. And I've seen, a, you shared with me a video where you express all your emotions during a run. And that was like really, really impressive. Like how you see like you're super excited in the beginning and then you like at the end, at the middle, you're like, oh my God, I'm doubting about this. How does run, running makes you think about things? Because one of the questions I, 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 I asked you on email actually, actually was how does running impact your, like, your mind and how... How far do you have to run in actually to, to get, get that? It's <laughs> a very good question. Um, so one thing, you know, one of the, the definitely one of the reasons. So I go back a little bit. The reasons I wanted running was that I I noticed that a lot of these ultra runners would talk about this this idea of okay. of it's kind of freedom through through running, a chance to 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 think. Funny enough, I also used running to start with as a way to, to listen to podcasts. <laughs> I actually, I, I wanted to start learning again and I, I hadn't, I've, I felt like I hadn't learned for 15 years. And so I realized that at the very least, at the early stage when I wasn't really that into running, it's like if I went running, I could listen to a podcast. That was my time to escape. I didn't, you know, I didn't really want to sit at home just sitting, yeah. listen to podcasts. I had family there. So if I ran out of the house, no one could get me. Um, and, I, and, I, and one thing I wanted to sort out by just stopping alcohol, becoming a, you know, almost a vegan, a vegetarian, definitely, uh, was to try to sort my mind out. You know, I had a mind that I think a lot of people have, which just is, constant, is increasingly trying to look for some sort of fulfillment, purpose, happiness, um, calmness. I wanted calm. I, just, I wanted to stop waking up and feeling high one hour and low the next. Mm-hmm. And I thought that maybe running could be a good balancer. And I actually think it really, really is. I, and I, I always advocate for running because I think, um, you know, in many ways, running is about moving forward. Well, it is about moving forward, unless you run backwards. Um, <laughs> and I think there's just something very, very nice. Now, at the same time, because I'd never really run before, it became really easy to, to hit small goals and feel good about it. You know, you run your first mile. Wow, I feel good about that. I've never run a mile before. Mm-hmm. I run my first 5K. Oh, wow, I enter a 5K race and I get a little badge. It doesn't mean much, but it's like, wow, I achieved something. Oh, I, I did a 5K two weeks later and I did it faster. Wow, that feels good. And you can very slowly achieve more. It doesn't have to be straight away 100 miles. Yeah. It's taken me a year and a half really to mentally get ready for this 100 miles. Um, and actually... I don't think I ever believed I'd really do the 100 miles when I started. So I think, in answer to your question about when you actually start to feel it, what I noticed very early on is that even if I did, very quickly I get the endorphin rush. It could be, you know, I think when you're just starting out, you get it quite quickly. You know, you might do a couple of miles. I just noticed when I got back, I just felt good. I smiled. If I woke up really early in the morning and I went for a run, I felt really good. If I woke up in the morning, I didn't go for a run, in the day, I just didn't feel good. And, I would, I, and then I would go running on the weekends and I would go for longer week runs because this is when I was still probably doing a bit more work. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> on the week, I'd use my weekends for longer runs. And um, I just found myself stopping and writing long emails to the company or people or friends or messaging and telling people I love them. And it just, 
you just get this endorphin rush inside you, this freedom, this kind of bloody hell, wait a sec. The thing I kept thinking is, I am a, and this maybe doesn't even sound as deep as I think it's going to mm-hmm. sound, and I don't know what I'm going to say yet, but <laughs> I suddenly realised I was a human being. Looking after myself on this planet was actually something that is a worthy endeavour. And before that, I, ha- I think I had taken for granted my body. I was just moving through life. I didn't really think of my body as anything other than getting me from bed to work. But then I started realising about motion. I'm moving right now. And running was this motion. And it's wow, I feel good and my muscles feel good when I'm moving. And then I started learning about yoga. And then I started learning about hit and, and, and strength. And I started learning about animal movement where I could just move my body in completely mm-hmm. different ways. And I would start just walking around on all fours. And it just felt really good. And I got so much good feeling, I still to this day, of just moving my body. Mm-hmm. And I, weirdly, I'd never used my body. So I think running is just, it was just a, it was a stepping stone to, to, to being more curious about my own body that led me down the yoga path, the boxing mm-hmm. path. It wasn't like I knew anything other than I'm going to do a 1K today. Then the next day I want to learn 2K. And whenever people ask me now about how do you get into running, I just, just, make, just go around the block. Mm-hmm. My wife did it the other day. She was, yeah. she was procrastinating. Oh, I need to do this. I want to start running, but... I just said, run around the block. You don't have to think about a road. You're just going to get it's a tiny run. You'll be back in three minutes. And she did it. And she felt good because she just, she, she started thinking, shit, I can do this. And then the next day I went with her, we went two blocks. You so it's just, it's just incredible. Like, it is incredible. It's, um, it's a gift that the world gives to us that uh-huh. a lot of us don't use. Um, and remember, for me also, I had also been really interested in people that I looked up to. People like Rich Roll, people like Timothy Sheaf. Um, you know, the more I looked up to these runners or vegan runners, uh, the more I, you know, went on YouTube and looked up these amazing, you can watch amazing documentaries about runners mm. on YouTube, like this free content. And the more I watched it, the more I wanted to be like these people. And they were talking about um, these, these highs and these lows. And I said, so I was in many ways became a, a high and low chaser. I wanted that feeling. Like I drink a lot of coffee because I love that feeling of being really high. Um, and I watched this one film especially that really resonated with me uh, and it's called it was entitled Life in a Day mm-hmm. and in watching that film it was about four female runners who took on the 100 mile a big 100 mile race and what one of them says in it is that during that, the, that 100 miles you will go through every single emotion you'll ever go through in life um, in that one day now I've got to do that in a few <laughs> weeks. But that video that you referred to at the beginning was 100, that was 62 miles. And you could see that that wasn't me faking. That was actually, I was actually trying to capture the emotions. Like obviously I was very conscious of pulling my phone out. Yeah. There wasn't like a camera on me the whole time. But when I felt a different way, I wanted to make sure I could piece together so I could watch later, like the different emotions. And you do see in it that, yeah. I mean, that's the amazing thing. And actually what I, sorry <laughs> to no, go on, but no. what you learn in running, I think can be applied to life mentally there is oh, I almost feel like there's, there's, there's you and then there's the mind and the mind tries to trick you a lot and it tricks people into believing they can't achieve certain goals mm-hmm. and that could be the ego it could just be a mechanism to a safety mechanism to stop people pushing their bodies too hard but if you listen to the mind you will stop running quite quickly 
if you know that their mind is just trying to trick you, you push through. So those times in that video where I'm feeling really down, I absolutely want, felt like, I mean, physically I was drained, I felt awful, I, I kept on thinking, I could think of nothing worse than being in this position right now. But I also knew something else I would always have the back saying, just keep going, just even if, even if you go to a walk, even if you just keep saying to yourself, just one more tree, eventually you'll come out of that doom again and you'll feel good again for a little while. Mm -hmm. Quickly run as far as you can with that. So it's just, I think I apply that to I apply everything I learned in running and feeling good about life to my business as well. So when things are going, you know, in the past, if a problem arose in us two, I'd probably me and things would probably get quite stressed about it. Mm. You know, blame everyone else in our heads, go to the pub, drink beer, complain. Life is so stressful. Well, now actually I chill a bit. I think, well, let's just let's just look at this rationally. Uh, and I just I don't I just. I care massively, but I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say that quite a lot in the podcast. So you, you feel you feel like the running gave you like the endurance. Do you need it like in your brain, in your like way of thinking? I think it, it did. It give me the endurance. I mean, it it gave me. I I realised that you can do anything. Like, I mean, I went from not running at all to doing sixty two miles. Um, you know about. What was that? four or five months ago. Mm -hmm. And I never thought I'd do that distance. Like, a lot of people say, it's impossible. No, I could never run 62 miles. Well, actually, I proved you can. And actually, my, fast, my last three miles were my fastest miles I did, because the endorphins, I knew my family were there, I knew that it was gonna be a big finish. You can, you can actually achieve anything. So, although I'm terrified about doing this 100 miles, and I really am, because it's a 24, it will take me 24 hours of, of non-stop running, the fact that I'm scared about it is the very reason I have to do it. I keep saying to myself now, Mills, just pull out. But that's the mind saying pull out. It's not, it's not me, it's the mind trying to trick me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it just, it's an incredible thing. And I think, I, you know, when people are, talk about mental health anxieties, uh, talk about stress at work, talk about not feeling happy, you know, I find it difficult you know, I personally, I'm not a doctor, but I prescribe running as a step towards getting better. Mm. You cannot start to mend yourself if you're not, if your body is not fit. It's the body and the mind are one. Uh, and the fitter your body feels, the more your mind is free. Uh, That's so cool. You just make me want to run now. <laughs> I was going to say, do you, ever, do you ever run? I don't run. No. I've run like as a, a sport, like we used to play football. Yeah. And yeah, that was cool. But you have like a goal. The goal is like actually scoring a goal. <laughs> yeah, but running is the same. I mean, for a lot of people, I mean, I, I think I always try to say, I, I mean, I'm my coach, I have a coach now, a running coach. Um, you know, he's a, he's a brilliant coach because he teaches me it's, it, running is fun. There's no point doing it if it, it's, you know, you're not meant to be doing it to be hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. Like every run is just another learning lesson, yeah. a lesson to learn something more about your body, a lesson to take to the next run. Like, you know, the fact of the matter is now, I've done that 62 mile race now. I learned a lot, you saw it. Uh -huh. I now know that I can do the 100 miles. It's gonna be very hard, but I, I know all the, I know what's, how to eat properly now because I've made the mistakes before. I know, I know so much, so I think, I don't think anyone should believe they can't run because surely the body is, the body is built to move movement is extremely important and now mm -hmm. i think that's why we're seeing things like yoga becoming extremely popular now yeah um but the beauty of running is it's free mm -hmm. i mean that's there is no excuses that's so cool because you touched on the, on the fear level yeah and i think that's one of the things that i struggle the most like for instance having this talk today 
I was talking to myself, oh, you probably should quit. And I was like, oh, why not? I just, I just go. That's quit in it. terms of doing this podcast? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I'll do it. Uh, I don't care. Let's see what happens, right? What, what do I lose? And one of the things that we talked a lot about on, on, uh, on email was yeah. ego. Yes. And we talked a lot about that. And I was like really fascinated on, on your perspective. Yes. And I actually looked into the dictionary to see what ego means. And mean on, on the dictionary it says a person's sense of self-esteem and self-importance. Like, mm. how do you see ego today? Because yes, like, yeah. last week I think you tweeted something like, I want my ego back. Yeah. And you talked about that on your podcast as well. Yeah, I'm not convinced I still understand ego. Mm. And actually your definition of ego probably doesn't fit with what I talked about exactly. ego being the other yeah. day. And I remember when you first... When you first told me about... When you wrote to me actually mm -hmm. after listening to it, and I remember feeling like it felt like you were attacking me in some ways, mm -hmm. and that, not in a negative yeah, way, yeah. but it was like what I took out. Was I thought you were saying to me that I was only trying to be successful. I, 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 I said something it, around like, um, "Are you? Do you think success means ego in your in your, like in your way?" Of yeah, thinking? and I think I think I think I interpreted my interpretation of ego up until then was mm -hmm. loving yourself, thinking you're the best. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe I actually was misinterpreting ego as arrogance because yeah. arrogance, I think, is you think you're the best. Exactly. And I, so I don't think I under, when you came to me with that, mm -hmm. I I was thinking arrogance, and I was and I really didn't relate to that, and so I. I didn't really, it confused me, but it got me thinking. Mm -hmm. That was, and that's what I loved about it. And from then, I did a podcast on it, in fact, a few days later. I mean, when I referred to wanting my ego back the other day, I think some recently, you know, as I've got cleaner in terms of my, my eating, my, my thinking habits, my, you know, there's no alcohol in my body to sort of uh, change my emotions. I just found I've gone deeper and deeper into my soul and deeper into a desperate search for purpose and meaning and the point of life. Mm. I mean, I've gone everywhere. You know, what is the point of life? I realize there's no answer to that, but, <laughs> but I'm searching for it. And I think, and I think I, I referenced wanting my ego back because I felt like when I had an ego, well, when I had what I thought was an ego, it was this drive to succeed and nothing else mattered. So I didn't think about what the meaning of life was. I didn't think about how my, my wife felt. I didn't mm -hmm. feel like how my children felt. I didn't care about what my friends really thought about me. I didn't care about anything but us two and our, and our ability to get become defined as one of the best companies in the world. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think you have to be like that in order to, I do think you have to be somewhat like that, which is more about focus, actually. You've got to be so focused to, to try to define something that becomes a standout thing, because the world is a busy place. Yeah. But I think what I was actually referencing was, although I wasn't happy then, I wasn't searching for the meaning. I had, I had a purpose and I had a meaning. I felt like I did. And so I, I didn't feel as lost then. And now I think I feel like I'm very lost in, don't get me wrong, I think it's okay to be lost, yeah. but I am lost. Mm -hmm. And I'm perpetually searching for that next thing. What's that next thing if it isn't us two anymore? Mm -hmm. And so it was more of a sort of just an acknowledgement that I was quite scared and lost right now. Mm -hmm. And that when I felt like I had an ego, I didn't care about anything else. Whereas now I care about everything I say. Should I, I don't, you know, 
You know, even when I sort of see something that I don't like, I think, what's the point of me getting involved and in saying something about that anymore? Whereas the old me would have been like attacking it straight away, yeah. and I get excitement out of it, and I don't even care if you know. So anyway, that was it. So ego is a confusing thing because actually someone then emailed me like you did (laughs) and said, what about if that wasn't, what about actually what you were referring to was all those years ago, you actually had meaning and purpose and that kept your ego at bay. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's actually what you actually... Ha- I was like, oh my God, I'm even more confused now. Thank God Fabio is coming to help me out. <laughs> but um, but the, 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 the way that you described, it seems like you just lost the, your sense of purpose. Yeah. Like it seems that it's not about the ego. Because if that's yeah. ego, LGU can create something like this. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, that, yeah, so actually, what, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, and I... I think when you're trying to search for purpose and meaning, it's quite a staunting place. I think at the end, I think we've touched on that. Purpose and meaning mm-hmm. is you know feeling like there's a reason to exist, um, you know. And for a while, and still for now, you know, my focus has been on getting myself, you know, feeling fitter, feeling mentally strong. Mm-hmm. Because what I have found, the more I love myself, the more I'm able to love others. Before I loved others, but I wrapped my tank was so low all the time on loving myself, mm-hmm. and so I'd often go into quite dark places. But now I feel like, you know, by investing hours and hours a day into physical fitness and mental well-being, I'm able to give much more to people, more focus. Mm-hmm. You know, when I stopped drinking, one of the main drivers to stop drinking was I wanted to start going to out with people and actually listen to what they say. Yeah. And not just being there, wasting time, talking absolute shit. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to sort of be aware of my existence. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like a great segue to like the company because yes. you, you mentioned that before and one of the reasons I'm here today is basically I remember clearly the first time I walked into his office I was like my god this is like the creative garden or the, cre- the creative heaven because you get that sense as soon as you walk in you see like the walls are all painted you see people chatting around and I was like oh my god this is so cool like I, I can see that this a little bit of a reflection of yourself, like the company and like the way that you structured all the, the office. Yeah. How did that came to be? It's like it was just how was us to before it was like this big thing? <laughs> and how like what happened to make it like transition and or actually probably nothing changed. <laughs> well, interesting you say that. Um I mean it goes back to you know the reason we started us to, you know, a to create a place that me and Sings personally wanted to be. When I go on, you know, when I, um, when I talked about doing talks, I want to give a talk that I think I would want to watch. And mm-hmm. um, I want to see people talking honestly and openly and not with arrogance. Me and Sings just wanted, were, were two designers who, who enjoyed helping other people, which increased, was our, was our clients to start with. And we wanted to play it, I, I especially, of the two, wanted to be, make sure that I was enjoying myself. And that doesn't mean necessarily pissing about and mm-hmm. joking around all the time, but it means actually spending time with people I really, really like. And um, it's funny, actually, I, um, I'll read a message out that I just yeah, got. Nice. I think it's, I mean, you can just cut it out if it's so boring. But I just got a, someone who... Um, let's keep it raw. Yeah, let's keep it raw. <laughs> so a really, really good friend of mine um, uh-huh. who won't, um, called Dem. 
I don't know if you've ever met them. Them girls, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that was the first person I've met. Yeah, okay. He's yeah. like, he's in the Nuno sort of type character, you know, like super oh, helpful. Okay. But he just wrote to me like, you can. There's proof that I'm showing yeah. him. There is proof. <laughs> and he so he just wrote me a long, a long what's that last night, and. He says this, mate, I have a few things to say to you. I'll just read the first yeah, one Yeah, take your time. Uh, I'm in Amsterdam tonight. Uh, just to, this is somebody that left. Um, he's actually, he's written a lot about leaving us too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, he, he loved us too so much, but eventually I helped him leave us too because I think it was important for him to find other journeys outside of us too because he knew he loved us too. He didn't know if he could love something else mm-hmm. outside of us too. Mm-hmm. So it was important for him to go. And I wasn't going to be selfish enough to try to keep him, even though he was, you know, was probably one of my favourite people, um, just because I loved his way of being. Mm-hmm. He was a model us to be. Mate, I have a few things to say to you. I'm in Amsterdam tonight. There's a conference over the next few days, and they hosted the welcome drinks tonight. First thing, I bumped into Tolly and Danny White here, they're two XS2Bs mm-hmm. as well from our New York studio. And it reinforced how much of a bond us two built. There's a list of countries I can travel to around the world that I will see a friendly face waiting to say, hey, it means so much to me to have these people I can see once every few years who treat me like old friends. And I, when I, when I um, replied to them just this morning, you know, I said, that's actually what I'm the most proud of, that when me and Sinks and Missing's references a lot. The beauty of Instagram was that in the early years was that we started to see that on the weekends when we were with our families or girlfriends and we were wishing that we were at work. <laughs> if you went on Instagram, you would see employees of us two on the weekends hanging around together because they were actually friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like work colleagues. It was people who wanted to spend time with other. Us two was a place that was bringing like-minded, passionate people, different people, but like-minded, same values together. And us two was, was facilitating friendship, not just providing a service to a client. And that bit really resonated with me because that's what Fampany talks about. Mm-hmm. You know, Fampany was trying, to, was trying to brand, to be different. You know, I don't want to be a company. Oh, I didn't want to be a company. I wanted to be a Fampany. I wanted to be a place where... We could party together, we could enjoy together, we could cry together. If you've got a problem, we talk through stuff. Um, it's not to say it's not without its problems. Don't, I'm not saying it's, yeah. it was perfect because actually families are not perfect and actually you realise that families are actually, you know, it's actually not the same rest because families can never leave each other whereas the beauty of a family is you can leave us two. But what I've increasingly realised now is that the majority of what I reference as family now don't work at us two anymore. Oh, okay. They're companies that are on the adventure floor. They're, they're ex-us twobies that are family for life. Um, and so I just referenced like a family of companies it used to be us two I referenced it as family company but then I changed it to what I understood to be a family of companies and not just companies but company people's company Uh but the way you produce that is that at the end of the day the two people that own the business and this is the tone of a business or a company is set by the founders it's a very simple thing if the founders are two arseholes they will hire arseholes. They will, the arseholes that join will think to be the boss of a company, I need to act like those founders or those leaders. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to mimic those moves in order to, to, to be appreciated. Yeah. Me and Sinks were, were you know, believe it or not, very humble people. We, we, never knew, we knew we weren't the best designers, but we knew that we could work extremely hard and we knew we could be extremely open and real and raw. And if you're raw and real... People really, really um, look up to you and 
I think they say, shit, these guys, even though they get a lot of things wrong, then always doing it for the right reason. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. trying. Yeah. That goes a long way. So that's really what a fan plea was about. It's being very open with your failures. And you know, when we made big failures and made mistakes or lost money or chose projects that didn't work out, you know, we would always put our hands up and own up to it. Um, mm-hmm. And you call that a scalier, right? A succalier. Well, succalier was... Some, <laughs> Tell me more about that. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, so succalier for me was, again, in the very early years, you know, we would... Re- I, I sort of took over... Sinks would really, if we were being quite simple here, run the client side of us to the... What is now called us to studios. Mm-hmm. That's where our client service agency is. Um, they work for clients, that side. But I started to build very early on what would ultimately become us to games and us to adventure, which is our two other businesses. Uh, but in the early days, it was all under one roof. It was just us two. And I would use the money we earned from our client services. So we'd get paid by clients. Mm-hmm. And me and Sinks would use that money to invest in our own things. So I would take that money and I'd, and I'd basically pay people, our employees, to not work for clients, but just to come and do this, the crazy things I want them to do. And they <laughs> want to do as well. And we had this, uh, eventually we had this team of 10 of us that would just every day would be just producing our own projects. And that became... At the very least, our marketing for us two, you know, us two was becoming more and more known for doing great work for clients, but also using that money to put our own products and projects out there. And, you know, eventually that became things like mood notes or mm-hmm. sway or pause or, or dice, you know, big projects and businesses eventually. But to start with, they were just funny little apps, mm-hmm. fun things, games. I noticed that most people that were at conferences or at talks would talk about you only ever hear about massive success. Now, the problem I had is I had no success. All of our apps were total failures. They would lose money. I would spend £100,000 of, of our money you know, on a team for three or four months, and we release it, and it made £2,000. <laughs> so then I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and talk about, on, about the passion of making and about the real realities of producing something and just how difficult it is to actually be commercial with that. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter. Uh, so what I was trying to paint was... If you think of, these are not failures, these are what I call succalias, so that amalgamation of success uh, and failure. Mm-hmm. Succalias, it means it's, failure is not good, I mean let's not pretend that failure is good, but failure is good if you, if failure is only failure if you, if you stop. But if you then um, start, do something next, you take the learnings from that, like for example, let's say you stop doing the podcast of this because mm-hmm. you think it's so bad, that would be failure because you, well, it wouldn't be failure, but the, it would be failure if you think of this podcast as meant to be a whole series of interviews, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so what you would do is you would take the things that worked and you would move it to the next interview. You might say it's only going to be 30 minutes long now, but failure is about taking the successful bits from the failure and moving it to the next, mm-hmm. the next attempt and try again. It's very like agile mindset. Yeah. But in those days, I didn't know it was an agile mindset. It was just failure, And it was funny because if you go on stage, Dun, 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 dun. I'm going to talk about losing shitloads of money, but I don't care because look, I'm smiling, had a lot of fun, and you know what? We, as a consequence of doing this, we're getting a lot of respect. Clients like us. You're being on, like, be honest, world. Come on. Mm-hmm. And I do actually believe that I, I'm, would put my hand up and say that I believe that us two and, and me are part of this kind of wave of, of getting people to open up about failures mm-hmm. and actually say that there's interesting things within that as well yeah. you know I wanted other developers to 
to know the realities that if you spend like all your if you spend a whole year in your bedroom working on a game the chances are it won't do very well if you don't yeah. think about the marketing as well or think about you know making a game that actually people might want or think about testing on people before you launch so i was just putting out any bit of help i could mm-hmm. to help people so Successalia, you know also us two became i i well, i believed it became to be known as a company that would have these weird words Successalia, professionalism company family <laughs> exactly like i because again doing things differently like create your own name mm-hmm. and it, how does like Successalia led to the big hit monument valley well so monument valley was uh, eight years. Um, I st- our first ever release, uh, sort of attempt at making something that would sell, was called Step In. Step In. Step in. Uh, it was using like your fingers. You'd cli- you basically you were re- you were racing fingers on an uh-huh. iPhone. Very simple, but it looked cool. And we released that on the day my daughter was born. So I know oh, that. Cool. So that was nine. She's nearly ten. So that was ten years ago. And we released sixteen projects. Um, before Monument Valley. So Monument Valley was, I think, the 17th. Mm-hmm. And that was a journey to get there. You know, when I first started, it was me, uh, Paolo, uh, and we just sat in the corner, and I designed it, and she developed it. And she was the first, she, we took her off the client project, and we said, you're just gonna learn to be an iOS developer, <laughs> and we're gonna release the game. And we released it. Didn't do very well at all. And then, but then we thought, you know what, well, this is fun. I like doing this. Actually, I don't want to work for clients personally. Uh, Sync does. Uh, I want to. I want to be able to say whatever I want about projects, and I want to market our own things. So we built another thing, then another thing. Then we. Then I said, Sync. I want more people because, um, you know. Then we learned that if you do it just in your evening time, and you get, and those people are also working on clients as well, it means the project takes too long, uh, and it's you know you need a team that's focused, mm-hmm. and that still didn't work. And then you realise if you make something that's really shit people won't buy it so probably best not to make something bad and we just learn 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 we actually learn how to develop products mm-hmm. and by the time Monument Valley came out we had learned that if you're trying to make a game without people with games making experience the chances are it won't be a very good game so by then we had hired three really good people Ken Wong um, Dan Gray who's now the head of yeah. the last two games um, and brought those guys in and they was mixed with the talent that we already had um, meant that you know we we made Monument Valley, and I think the success of Monument Valley was actually that you know that cost us. I think we were, we're we put out all the results yeah. and all the money. I think about a million dollars before we launched it, mm-hmm. and we never had a success before that. But what we had, I think I'm trying to think what floor we're on now. I know so the floor above this in that corner behind you right mm-hmm. now is where us two game well they weren't called us two games they were a project team yeah. just in us two and I said to them you can do whatever you want you can behave however you want you can, you can as long as you you know I am giving you all the time you need to make the most special thing I had a, a sort of a list of things that you know I wanted it to be a, a game that could be playable by everyone I wanted it to really resonate in the design community I wanted it to win an Apple Design Award you know I wanted it I want it to be a premium game. I wanted people to say, fuck, I wish I made that. And it was this email that I wrote them all, and it's, that's online as well. And I said, what, there's no rules, it's just creativity. And we gave them the freedom, and those people, those eight people at the time, spent you know, a year and a bit, heads down, working so hard, because they knew that they, this, was, this was a chance of a lifetime. And you know, because the game was brilliant, and it was, 
uh, but because timing was right, because I think we learned, you know, we had all that experience. So there's, a, I think there was a whole community behind us. Mm-hmm. And when we started to hype this thing, we finally had a game that actually lived up to the hype, not just something that we mm-hmm. hyped that wasn't very good. Yeah. And it was mind blowing, you know, to think <laughs> what that's done to us. You know, we're now making a film with Paramount Studios. We've, oh, cool. we've we, you know, the follow up, we released that news a few weeks ago. Um, so that would be a Hollywood film. We've done a very successful, infinitely more successful sequel. It was on the House of Cards. Yeah, yeah I remember that. You know, it's won every award you could ever won. But the the best thing about it was that you know kids, up to grandparents, love the game, uh-huh. and it's and it's and Apple continually promote it as one of the go to games for the mm-hmm. iPhone and mm-hmm. iPad. Mm-hmm. So very proud of that. So in yeah. many ways, you know, I've kind of I don't think I can ever beat that feeling because. Yeah you can never go from nothing to something big. I can only go from something big to maybe something bigger, yeah. but that jump I don't think is anywhere near as exciting mm-hmm. as the not, never before touch success yeah. to success. And one of the things that, you know, on the way of like all of this success, yeah. you've probably met like the biggest founders we think of, like those big, like Tim Cook, he was here, right? How was meeting these people? And did they, did they give you any inspiration to like keep going yeah. and like, Uh, yeah, so Tim Cook, <laughs> we took him to, he came down to our games company and he, he flew in especially to meet um, a, a select few development companies and, uh, and games makers to, so that he could meet the very people that put, you know, the sort of work that makes his products look incredible. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I was, I was very nervous, <laughs> because, which is weird really, because it's just another human being that just runs a business. It's, mm-hmm. I don't really know why, but I think... I respected him for, you know, so much for what he's obviously built. And um, he was an incredible leader. You know, what I learned in that couple of hours that he spent with us was that he was extremely humbling. He was everything I hoped a good leader would be. Someone who, you know, wasn't about it about being arrogant. He mm-hmm. took the time to speak to every single designer. He sat down with the mood boards and he actually took his glasses off and he had a real detailed look at the, at the behind the scenes work. He sat with us and listened to the stories about how we had built Monument Valley and, and what we want to do for the future. And for someone who's obviously so important, you know, one of the richest people in the world, yeah. runs the richest business mm-hmm. in the world. Those two hours I felt like, I almost felt like he was able to switch off from the reality of his situation and just be a human being with us. It was a huge honor and mm-hmm. it really, I was really glad that I met some, that, that somebody I looked up to was actually wonderful. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was incredible. And I think, I think more and more now I just realized that everyone is just a human being at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized is, wait a sec, If I go through all these downs and ups, even when I've been successful, if, or if you think I'm successful and I'm telling you that I, feel, I still feel <laughs> down and up and I still feel like a fraud and I feel, still feel like I've got more to give but I don't know how to give it, mm-hmm. there's a chance that, that, that Tim Cook probably does as well. I mean, yeah. I don't know, but, you know, and actually you, I hear more and more stories of people that, have, you know, that I look up to that I've never met before that open up about their own mental health struggles. We're all human beings. We're exactly. all, there is, happiness is what people chase, contentment. It's, yeah, it's so hard to have like that like, clean slate and say that we are just human beings. Yeah. It's very hard. Maybe the way we are like educated or something like that. But what I found fascinating is like, how do you scale all of this to multiple countries? Because you are yeah. like USA, Denmark, yeah. 
Sweden as well, right? Sydney, yeah, not Denmark. Sydney, yeah. Um, Japan now. Japan. Yeah. Oh, cool. LA, San Francisco. <laughs> um, well, you do it, I mean, you do it through learning a lot, but you do it through, at the end of the day, values. So the articulation of, of your own values is very important when you're building a business. Those values should be, and I've learned this only by towards the end of us two really, because I think we naturally just, in the early years when you're in a room with everyone, values are played out by your actions. Like people can see the, main, the way me and Sinks interact. So we have like six values. And now we've had, as you scale the business, you need to make sure that they're actually on display. It doesn't mean as posters necessarily, but mm. you have to constantly remind everybody that we essentially, hire and fire by these values. If you want to be a good us to be, these are the values that you should adhere to. If you don't resonate with those values, you shouldn't be us to. Mm -hmm. Now, in the early years of us to, I think we didn't really understand the utility of values. So there would often be people that we really liked, they were friends of ours, but they, they, something grated, there's a problem. And it's only when we really sort of sat down and articulated what our values were that we suddenly realized that that person's that, you know, one of our key, it's not one of our values, but let's, let's say team, being a team player is a really important part of us too, and mm -hmm. it is. You suddenly realise, well, there's a problem with that person, because that person, although they're like a senior person in our business, they absolutely hate working in teams. That's why they don't fit into us too, and that's why there's constant issues in this. So we have to help them move yeah. out of us too, because if you can't, values mean nothing if you don't live by them. So actually... You, you, you make sure that people take those values with them. And I think, you know, we could do a better job of that now because mm -hmm. um, we still made mistakes. But I think at the end of the day, you have to, uh, me and things are all about empowering other people. I didn't want, although I do like being kind of like, a Sinks, for example, is pure behind the scenes. He doesn't want to be seen. He yeah. doesn't really care about it. He doesn't want to do interviews. He doesn't, he's not interested by that. I definitely like being more front and center. But I also absolutely, I'm, I'm driven by helping others. So I want to see our leaders be the best leaders they can. Like I don't run any of our studios. I don't run a games business. I don't run adventure. I, I actually am behind the scenes of our leaders to help them, just reminding them how to be, to think bigger, think bigger, think bigger. <laughs> you know, be, you know, we own this business. I want you to think big. I want you to believe in yourself because this is your platform to do something great. I get a lot of, I love that. That's why I love when we talked about Dem earlier on, you know, when he joined as a junior, I just wanted to see him grow as a junior. I wanted him to use us as a platform for him to ultimately do very well in us too, but then use that platform to go and get an even more exciting job, for, you know, a different job. Mm -hmm. So I think if you believe, if you give people belief, then they'll go and they'll do great things. Yeah. And you know, that's all it really is. Like, give people fuel to believe and people are amazing people people can start new studios people mm -hmm. can run 100 miles they believe they don't know if they can always but if you just tell them enough or you just you just you don't even tell them you just allow them to believe mm -hmm. it does it and i think that's yeah. the, that's for me why it's successful um that's really cool that's why it's successful but mm -hmm. the diff you know i will ch the, a challenge i personally have had for a long time now is that us two, out of necessity and out of a rational reason, is become a company now. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, you, I think you have to be a family to get to the company, mm -hmm. in my opinion. But when you get big, like, and we got really big, you have to put certain processes in place. They make sense to put those in place. You have to operate slightly differently. 
you have to, it's just different because people have different requirements when the company's bigger. You know, when you're all 25 year olds and that's how old, how old we were when we started us two, no one cared about money. No one cared about anything but drinking beer. I mean, you know, those are the days when it was okay to drink all the time. Nowadays it's different. Yeah. But we were just a load of 25 year olds basically growing up together. Now the average age is a lot older. There's so many people in us who have families. Money does, but commercial, you know, money becomes important. And it is important. Mm-hmm. It's never, it's at different stages of life, different things become important. And us too can't, can't be as irrational and crazy as it used to be because we have to make sure that we're always paying people. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't let people down and not pay them because they've got families, they've got mortgages. And so you have to grow up doesn't mean I have to grow up. So it actually means that in many ways I've pulled away from the very beast. And I'm very proud now. I'm so proud of, of, of getting to a point where I feel okay to believe in a new future for me personally that may not involve us two. Mm-hmm. And I'll never stop being the founder of us two. And I'll never stop being the reason, well, half of the reason why the values are what they are and family is what it is. But my... My energy really comes from the early crazy times where you're giving, you know, where there's no rules, there's no process. It's just like sitting in a room. We don't have a clue. Let's do something ridiculous, <laughs> as in like let's aim for high and let's go for it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think this year and a half also has been about this transition. As a, as I've transitioned away from only thinking about us two to thinking about me it's about my role within the world mm-hmm. and within my own company and I'm very proud that now we have a CEO that runs uh, called Carsten that runs our studio group extremely talented extremely inspirational older than Sinks and myself is able to do a lot of stuff in us two that that we were never able to do mm-hmm. now we were we, us two was, was so good at doing all the things that every other agency can't do in terms of culture, in terms of being real, in terms of creating a genuine vibe, we were so bad at a lot of the sort of things that other agencies just find so easy, yeah. like really being commercially proper, focused, mm-hmm. and it, all the sort of lots of admin, th- everything. So we're doing that now, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it's a naturally good time for me to feel confident in believing that my time is up in many mm-hmm. ways, which is, I've never actually ever said that ever in my life mm-hmm. until now. But it's but if you listen to my podcast, you'd probably be getting that feeling. <laughs> I Would, think like our time is up. Yes. So uh, oh, fuck, yeah. I have one last question. Yeah, let's let's keep I've, going. I've read... Well, this is where the board oh, meeting great. is, so they can they can they can push us out. Great. Um, so I've read this somewhere. Um, so if you ever meet with uh, some a person that you look to, yeah, try to ask them what what is the pros and cons of being themselves. So yes. what are the pros and cons of being Miles? <laughs> Nowadays. Yes. Um, the pros. Okay. The 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 pros of being me is I can get I can get I can get very excited about pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. So, um, I now know that my superpower is to believe in anyone I speak to, get excited by them and enthusiastic, and want to be fired up by that person or thing. The con of that, I'll ask this twice, is I've got to be very careful where I put my time now because. I can't not get excited by pretty much anything I see. So I need to make sure I direct. I, if I'm aware that I can be very easily excited by something, I need to make sure I only take meetings that I want to take. 
mm-hmm. or I only <laughs> watch certain films that I want to be inspired by because if I watch a film, I'm, I want to be whatever that thing is mm-hmm. and I want to get it. I think the, the, the con to me um, is that I can't stay... Um, I can't make a decision and stick to it. Uh-huh. And that, for me, I'm fine with that. But for other people around me, it's very frustrating, extremely frustrating. Exactly. Do you think that's like how the system is nowadays? Like, you, uh, you have to commit with one decision. Yeah, I think that's also it. It's like, I, I, you know, why I probably f- I've tried to pull away from having any expectation on me, and this is what I say to Sinks, my co-founder, um, is I don't want, I've got to a time now where I don't, yeah, I, I, I understand my inability to make decisions and stick to them so I don't really want to be in situations where I have to do that that's why I pull out rather than stay mm-hmm. but yeah so I think yeah I think it's great to be able to jump from decision to decision really quickly and easily but mm-hmm. it's not good that that affects other people Sinks gets extremely frustrated by that <laughs> my wife gets extremely frustrated by that and that's selfish mm-hmm. still I'm not going to change it I like that <laughs> but personally Actually, we speak a lot about ego, ego a lot, so I brought you something. Oh, thank you so, very much. So thank you. Oh, you know what? You know what? <laughs> this is the book I've never read, but some, maybe you've even... Oh, it's light, which is good. Yeah, it's super easy to read as okay, well. Well, this will be a good thank you very much. He bought me Ego is the Enemy. Uh-huh. This is actually brilliant. Yeah. You know, I've, 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 re- read. I've referenced this to other people, but I've never uh-huh. read it. Big thank man. you very much. I could add double. You can more than happy to if you want it. Thank you very much for listening and see you in the next one.